Mm. Geraldine, I appreciated what you said uh, as you opened the prayer time tonight, that being, or tonight, this morning, that being part of God's family is what keeps us going. Being connected to God's family is part of what keeps us moving through this world. Uh, and that's, that's incredibly true. And so today, I would like to share with you uh, how I connected with part of God's family uh, over the past week or so in the form of the Church of God Convention. Uh, this will be sort of an unconventional sermon of sorts because I wanted to share with you what the convention was like for, for me and for others of us who attended it because this is our family, this is our tribe. Uh, the Church of God has had a convention or a, a camp meeting um, every year for a long time, since its inception back in the 1800s, late 1800s. Um, and for most of that period of history, this camp meeting was held in Anderson, Indiana. That happened every year up until 2013, just six years ago. Starting in 2013, we shifted to an every other year format and we shifted away from Anderson so that the camp meeting would not be in this little town in the middle of east central Indiana that people really have a hard time getting to that's an hour and a half away from the nearest airport uh, you know how accessible is it that only has a hundred hotel rooms it's not it's not a place for a big gathering so we've had the, the uh, convention now every other year in 2013 and 15 it was in Oklahoma City Oklahoma and in 2017, it was in Wichita, Kansas. And then this year, this past week, the end of June, it was um, in Orlando, Florida. And I've attended each of those conventions over the past several years. Um, and in between, they have regional conventions on the, odd, on the even-numbered years uh, that are just kind of local gatherings kind of scattered throughout the country. But everybody gets together in one place on these odd-numbered years. Now... I know that not everybody can get together. Not everybody was able to go to Oklahoma City or to Wichita or to Orlando. So back in 2013, I kind of took it on myself to say, we ought to, we ought to share what's going on with this convention with people who are not um, present. And living in a social media world, as we do, I, I chose the medium of Twitter to be the place where I would basically take notes and share with anybody who wanted to follow it what was going on at the convention, what the speakers were saying, what I observed, what the General Assembly was like. Our General Assembly is the, the business meeting of the Church of God where we vote on budget stuff and who gets to be in what role and, um, and deal with some other big issues that are much more um, exciting than budget stuff and ballot stuff. So, um, I did that starting in 2013, and then in 15 and 17, and I've learned that there are a number of people, it's not a huge number of people, but at least a dozen or so, who have communicated with me to say that they like to see that, because they're not in the place where the convention is, and they want to stay connected to what the group is doing. And so on my way home from Orlando this past Sunday, I got back late Sunday night, um, I was thinking... Why do I just share tweets with people out there and not share that kind of information with you all here in a kind of deliberate, very structured sort of way? 
Because I know not everybody in this room is on Twitter and you don't follow me and that's fine. Um, so how could, I, how could I boil all of that information down to a few bite-sized pieces that would be helpful and meaningful so that you could be connected to what is happening in the church of God um, around the world? How can, we, how can we stay connected to God's family in that sense? So I came up with this idea of having a top 10 tweets of hashtag Chog Convention, because that was the hashtag that we used, uh, the way that you can filter out you know, all the noise of Twitter so you can focus on what you want to focus on. And when I say the top 10 tweets, that's a little presumptuous on my part, because I'm really just talking about my tweets. Lots of people tweeted, but for the sake of my sanity, I just focused on what, I had, what notes I had taken. What do I want to share with you all here? That's, that's what we're going to focus on today. So Heather is going to be right on point with all of the tweets. You're going to see them up here and some pictures that go along with them. Here's number one. And I'll read them so you, you, know, you don't have to worry about the small print. Um, the first one, number one. The Pink Door 5K was a blast. Beautiful day for running. Just a bit warmer than normal for me. Thanks for the opportunity and for raising awareness about the continued need to fight human trafficking. Uh, you can see a picture of the route that we ran. Um, we ran out and then back around that little loop thing on the left-hand side there. Um, it wasn't an actual 5K. Gentlemen, you're probably noticing that, 2.96 miles. My app told me it was short of 3.1, so, but that's okay. I wasn't complaining. At 7.30 in the morning, it was already 75 degrees and 70% humidity, and I had soaked through basically all of my bodily fluids. I had come out, so um, I was ready to be done. Um, but you see, the picture to the right there is, is, you'll recognize me, I think, and a couple of my good friends who were there as well, uh, Joe Watkins and Shannon New Spangler. Um, the Pink Door is a ministry in Berlin, Germany. It's a Church of God-sponsored uh, ministry that, um, that helps women who are involved in sex trafficking in prostitution and other kinds of activities where they are very much trapped by that. They're not able to leave because the people who, uh, who manage them hold their passports or hold their, their identification so they can't go on their own. There are people who live in that kind of a scenario. And the Pink Door, among other scenarios, the Pink Door is, exists as a place where these women can go and find freedom and safety and a new beginning. Um, it's a ministry that the Church of God has sponsored for a number of years now, and this 5K was a way for us to raise some awareness of that event, of that ministry, and to raise some funds. We each kicked in 20 bucks to to be part of this 5K fun run, and um, all of those proceeds went to the to the Pink Door. $2,500 or so was raised for the Pink Door in Germany. Uh, so that was pretty cool, even though it was really really hot out there. Man. Number two, the next tweet is this. Follow-up to Q&A. We know Pastor Jim Lyon can't speak for the whole Church of God on social issues. As pastors, we advocate for compassion and justice for refugees and immigrants. Make a donation, and then there are two links. Uh, this takes a little explanation. This was a, a tweet that was in collaboration with a couple of other pastors, uh, Thomas Horrocks and Ryan Carroll, both from the Indianapolis area. 
The setting of this is a Q&A session, uh, a town hall sort of meeting that uh, everybody had on Thursday afternoon with Jim Lyon, who is the general director of the Church of God Ministries. And he's done this every year uh, that we've had this convention. He does it on Facebook a lot, too, where people can just ask questions about whatever, and he'll answer them. Um, one of the questions that was asked was, what do we do, can we make a statement, can we do something about the situation that's taking place on the southern U.S. border? And without getting political about it at all, what can we do about the people that are there? What, can we, what kind of stand do we want to take? Can we do anything like that? And Jim is uh, in a kind of a difficult position because in the Church of God there are a lot of different political streams and different ideas of what is right and what is not. Um, and so he didn't say exactly, you know, we need to take this particular stand, as many other church groups are doing one way or the other. Uh, he said, we need to hear all sides. We need to hear from everybody who's interested in this. Um, and, and then we'll see if we can come up with some kind of a statement of what we believe. And that's fine. Um, but then Thomas and Ryan, my two friends and I, sat down and said, statements are one thing, and words are good. But we need to actually do something, too. And so this was a call for people to make a contribution, a financial contribution, to two different organizations, one of them local and one of them international, uh, that deal with immigration and refugee crisis situations. One of them is, uh, the one that's local in the U.S., is based in Texas, um, and it's an acronym, R-A-I-C-E-S, I don't know how it's pronounced, racist or raices, it could, I don't know, but it's an acronym for something. It's not a religious organization at all, it's, it's, a, it's an organization that provides legal assistance for families that are, that are trying to work their way through the immigration system in, in the United States. Um, and their emphasis is on trying to help families stay together as they navigate this really elaborate kind of system that's very confusing to everybody, I think. Um, it, it's, it's not religious in nature. It's just a secular organization, but it's full of really bright legal minds of people who know how to help people uh, navigate this kind of environment. Um, so that's one organization that came to mind. Another one is called Heart for Lebanon. This is Lebanon in the Middle East, and uh, the, the Lebanon is uh, a place where many Syrian refugees fled. Uh, Syria and Lebanon are, are sort of neighbors, and uh, it, as the Syrian refugee crisis began a few years ago now, many people moved to Lebanon and stayed there, and Heart for Lebanon is a Christian organization that tries to, uh, and I believe it's affiliated with the Church of God, I think, I could be wrong, but it, it tries to, uh, to, to help people find community and the resources that they need, the material resources, the spiritual resources, uh, so that they can establish lives in a new land. And they've been doing that work for a number of years too. I think both of those are worthy um, places to, to invest funds um, and to support the, their work. Uh, so this second tweet was a call to you know not just say words about what we think should happen uh, in one place or another in the world, but to sort of put your money where your mouth is and, and try to support the people that are doing real good work. Moving along, number three. JF is uh, the, uh, are the initials of Jeff Freimeyer. You see him pictured here. Uh, Jeff Freimeyer is a pastor, minister. He's a professor. Um, he's, his kids are my age. 
um, and he's a, a friend of mine, um, he said this, thanks to the National Association of the Church of God for sticking with the Church of God, determining to remain united even when the white church did not wish to have them stick around. Little context. This took place at uh, the beginning of our first General Assembly meeting, the business meeting that's all really dull and boring. They spice it up by having somebody give a devotional thought at the beginning of each morning. And, uh, or really, it's not spicing it up. It's about centering ourselves. And uh, what Jeff talked about was the importance of unity and of God's people coming together. And he uh, expressed this thought about the National Association of the Church of God. Now, if you're not familiar with that language, what that refers to is a a predominantly African-American segment of the Church of God family. The National Association um, has an annual gathering, an annual camp meeting of sorts, in western Pennsylvania. West Middlesex is the little town where that takes place. Um, And they've done that for over 100 years. They started doing that 102 years ago in 1917 when um, they were asked to leave. At the beginning of our movement, the Church of God was generally pretty good about uh, racial integration and openness and and welcoming everybody in the same space. But as the couple of decades wore on and Jim Crow era laws began to become part of the norm of society... um, the attitude sort of shifted a little bit. And around 1917, the mostly white leaders of the Church of God said to the mostly African-American leaders of what became the National Association, it might be better, it might be safer, it might be more suitable if you guys had your own meeting and we had ours. And so it happened 102 years ago. But what Jeff is highlighting here is the tenacity of our African-American brothers and sisters to stay connected to the broader Church of God family throughout that entire period of time. Jeff knows this. He sits on the board of the, of the uh, National Association. He uh, attends a church in Florida that is mostly African-American. He has lots of connections in that particular community. And um, he's, he's raising them up as models of practicing unity over a long period of time. Uh, thanks to them for sticking with the Church of God, even when it wasn't necessarily very uh, easy to do so. Incidentally, this is kind of a footnote, in the Church of God in Michigan, our state organization, um, our state pastor, Bill Jones, is retiring at the end of this year. Um, he's been in that role for 19 years, I think, and he's ready to ride off into the sunset, pass the baton. And um, after a long period of deliberation and searching for people to, to take on that role, a search committee for our state has identified the next state pastor. His name is Mark Richardson. Um, I had not met him until I met him in Orlando. He was in Orlando at the convention, too. Um, He's a very warm, very friendly fella. uh, Seems very interested in people and getting to know people. He expressed a desire to come and see where we are. and He wants to get to know Michigan and all of our churches and what's going on. He's a pastor and church planter um, and church leader in Pennsylvania currently. Um, But he's going to be leaving the church that he helped to found uh, 17 years ago or so. And he'll be moving to Lansing with his wife. And he'll be our new state pastor 
uh, coming up later this fall. He happens to be African American as well. To my knowledge, he is the first person of color to be a state pastor of any state in the Church of God in its whole history. To my knowledge. Um, that's maybe not totally informed, but I, I, my understanding is this, is this is kind of a new situation for us, which I think is pretty cool. So you'll hopefully get to meet Mark at some point down the road. He's got a lot on his plate, you know, as he transitions, but I, I, I'd hope to bring him here sometime so you can meet him. Um, okay, that was number three. I think number four. I lose count, and I don't have it in my notes. The next one, anyway. Care Initiative Luncheon. Thanks to a Lily Grant... Um, Eli Lilly, the huge pharmaceutical company based in Indianapolis, they give away lots of money to lots of charitable organizations, including churches. Thanks to a Lilly Grant, 120 plus Church of God pastors have received $622,000 in school debt relief and retirement savings. Yeah. This is just in the past year or two. Uh, the gentleman you see standing on the right side of the picture is Joe Cookston, who is um, kind of in charge of, of that, this particular project. Um, and it's something that I have benefited from. Excuse me. I am one of the 120 plus pastors that have gone through this care initiative. And what it is consisted of is really very simple. A couple of phone conversations with somebody at Servant Solutions, which is our um, board of pensions, essentially. It's our retirement agency in the Church of God. And these phone conversations were about a really deep dive into our personal finances, Tara's and mine. You know, our, our student debts and how we handle money and what we do with all of this, all of the, I mean, it was really, Here's everything. Um, pretty pretty in invasive <laughs> in a positive way. Um, and then they offered suggestions about what we could do, what we could do differently, uh, what was going well, what wasn't. And in, in exchange for that, the Lilly Grant gave a good chunk of money toward my student loans. Um, they're still there. <laughs> it wasn't, you know, 100% of my student loans, but it was a good chunk of it. And then a chunk of money that went into my uh, retirement account that's at Servant Solutions waiting for... 20, 49 or so. Um, I, that's what they say. Anyway, it'll be here. Thank you, Angie. It'll be here before you know it. All right, moving ahead. Number five, I think. Um, MA stands for Matt Anderson. That's the gentleman you see. Um, that's about the vantage point that I had. You can see him. He's the little thing right there. And then the big screen, that was easier to see. So in the convention center, that's basically what we saw too. There's a little person way down there, but then you know the screen helped. Um, Matt Anderson was one of the speakers on uh, Friday evening. There were four of them that kind of spoke back to back and to end. Um, uh, he is a pastor in, of a Church of God church in Arizona. He said this, Those who claim to know God the best are often those who refuse to allow others to come to the table. Let's say that again. Those who claim to know God the best are often those who refuse to allow others to come to the table. And then he said, I wonder where we are in that story. The story he's referring to is the story of Jesus at a dinner party with the Pharisees. They've invited him to come to dinner. And then a woman comes in and anoints Jesus' feet with perfume. 
and she is crying, she bathes his feet with her tears, and she takes down her hair, which is a very scandalous thing to do, and wipes his feet dry with her hair. And the Pharisees, the good religious people who were all at the table, didn't allow room for her to, to come to the table. They said, what, if he knew what kind of woman she was, then he wouldn't allow her to touch him in that way. And Jesus had a very different perspective on what was going on right then and right there. Those who claim to know God the best are often those who refuse to allow others to come to the table. I wonder where we are in that story. Matt's words kind of drilled deep for me there. Next, number six. My take. Okay, so this is, um, this is in the slew of tweets that were about the General Assembly. So I was taking notes and telling people what people were saying in the General Assembly and all this stuff. And every once in a while, I'd have a thought and I'd want to you know, throw a little bit in there. And here's my take. This conversation about Project Imagine, which I'll explain, um, illustrates the struggle between organizing from above or organizing from below. We in the Church of God haven't figured that out yet. Okay, Project Imagine was a project that began two years ago at the Wichita Convention in 2017. And uh, it was a group of people that were kind of pulled together from lots of different corners of the Church of God. And the task that they were assigned to do was to come up with a plan to restructure the Church of God in the United States and Canada. We have a lot of different entities and agencies that don't always communicate with each other and the relationships between them are kind of scattered and it's not really clear who's in charge of what sometimes and it's sometimes a bit of a mess. And uh, the, the other side of it is financial. Uh, Church of God Ministries is an organization that has had to cut back a lot in terms of who it hires and some of the programs that it does just because the finances aren't quite there like they were 10 years ago even. Um, so this question about how the ent entities are related to each other and who's sort of in charge of what and, and how, how we should pr proceed, that was the task for Project Imagine. It did not go well. <laughs> um, they were to come to this convention in 2019 with a plan. Here's what we suggest for the Church of God moving forward and then we would vote on it. There was no plan. Because uh, all of these different parties from different corners had different vested interests. And I wasn't at the table, but what, I, what they presented, what Bob Moss presented, who is the gentleman you see in the lower left-hand corner there. Bob was the guest speaker here at our 75th anniversary, if you remember that, last October. He's a pastor in Niles, Michigan. He was in charge, sort of, of this Project Imagine thing, too. And he reported to us in the General Assembly about what happened, and he said, basically, we really couldn't get the ball rolling because the conversation just was too fractured. There were just too many different... So we don't, we don't, have, we don't have a plan for restructuring at this time. We need to work on our unity. That was kind of his end result, his end punchline. Um, so back to my tweet. We haven't figured out whether we're organized from below or from above. And by that I mean we, don't, we haven't figured out if Church of God Ministries, sort of the biggest national group, is going to be the one to call the shots and we'll just follow in line. Or if the local churches and the state organizations are going to be the ones to kind of set the agenda. We, we haven't figured out... Um, 
it's the it's the same it's the same struggle between federal and state rights that keeps cropping up. Something about our DNA as Americans. We don't know how to handle power. I don't know. Anyway, so it's an ongoing issue. Okay, onward. Number seven. JL stands for Jim Lyon. You see him here. That's our general director, Jim Lyon. He says this. Uh, in, in his report to the General Assembly, he gave uh, a report about what's been going on. He said this. If you aren't willing to make your church a catalyst for unity in your local community, then you should be unhappy in the church of God. <laughs> By that he means, if your church is not willing to reach out to other Christians of other stripes, of other denominations, if you're not willing to work on Christian unity as a major goal, then maybe your relationship to the church of God should be something different, because that's what we should be about. Jim was talking about our roots as people of holiness and unity, people who have lifted up holiness and unity as our primary theological concepts, and the way that we inter interweave those concepts. Holiness being about being filled with the Holy Spirit and being set apart for God's purposes, and unity being about the uh, not just feeling good about being in the same room together, but actively crossing lines of division and reaching out to other Christians to embody the unity of the body of Christ. If you're if said in a positive way, I guess his his line was kind of set in a negative way, but in a positive way, those of us in the Church of God should be actively reaching out to partner with other churches and other religious organizations, Christian organizations especially, to advance the work of the kingdom of God. And so I thought, well, uh, we're doing something with Bridge of Hope, which is a Christian organization. That's, that's good. We have this thing where we surprise churches every week by calling them to tell them that we're praying for them. <laughs> that's pretty good too. You know, we're, for, for our church and for our place and for our situation in the world, I think we're, we're on the right path in terms of reaching out to other Christians. We're not trying to be insular here. We're not saying we're the only Christians and everybody else is doing whatever they're doing. We reach our hands in fellowship. I, I, I hope, I think, we're on, on a good path in terms of unity. Okay, number eight. Next. The gentleman you see here is named Samir Salibi. He is a native of Lebanon. He comes from Lebanon, but has, is an immigrant to Paris. He immigrated to Paris a number of years ago, France. Um, I should say that because there are a number of Parises in the world, but, you know, that one, the, the Eiffel Tower one. Um, sorry. Uh, thanks, Robbie. That's good. Um, yeah, he immigrated to, to Paris a number of years ago and started a ministry. He's part of the Church of God, and he started a ministry in Paris when the Syrian refugee crisis began a number of years ago, many of those refugees found their way to Paris and the surrounding areas, as they found their way to lots of other places in Europe too. He started a ministry in Paris to serve those refugees with visitation, friendship, with support, with um, even Bible clubs for the children who came through. Um, he, he has been showing sincere love and compassion to all of the people who have found their way to his neck of the woods. And he came to Orlando to tell his story about his ministry, uh, a, pair, a ministry that he calls At Home, with the at symbol, At Home. Um, 
And he was interviewed, you can't really see at the bottom of the screen there, he's interviewed by Jim Lyon, that's, uh, who's sitting at a table with him in this big convention hall. So it's kind of a Q&A thing, and Jim is asking questions and letting Samir speak. And toward the end of this time, Jim asked Samir, what would you say to us Americans? Because we're sort of struggling with uh, not the same issue, but a, an issue involving people coming toward our country into our country, what would you say to, to Americans as we're wrestling with questions about immigrants? And he said this. We need to die to give others life. He said, every immigrant can be the Samaritan woman in John 4. Uh, John 4, Jesus meets a Samaritan woman at a well crossing cultural boundaries, they have a conversation, and she becomes an ambassador, a missionary, to her own community to tell them about who Jesus is. Samir says, every immigrant can be the Samaritan woman in John 4. And then he said this, you have been praying for these countries. You have been praying for Mexico and Guatemala and El Salvador and even Syria and Egypt and all of the nations that have had turmoil over the years, right? He said, you've been praying for these countries and now the people are coming to you. So what are you going to do for them? And there was kind of a shocked silence in the room because it reframes the whole question. You've been praying for these people. Here they are. What are you going to do? He shows sincere love and compassion to everybody that he meets in Paris. Uh, it's a good model to follow. Right on the heels of that, that evening, um, the next slide, Lori Salerno Maldonado was one, one of the, was an evening speaker, I think, on that Saturday night. Samir spoke on Saturday afternoon. She spoke Saturday night. Um, yep, that's her up there. She said this, When we become indifferent to human need, we become complicit with those who oppress others. When we become indifferent to human need, we become complicit with those who oppress others. And then in parentheses, this is my footnote at the bottom of that tweet, I said this ties in beautifully with Samir's message this afternoon about serving refugees at the southern U.S. border. There is a fundamental truth about oppression and suffering. Indifference is the same as complicity. If you turn your head away and pretend it doesn't exist, you're allowing it to continue. Now, there's a difference between oppression and suffering next door when you see it happening you know, in someone who's tangibly right next to you and seeing it a thousand miles away. There's, there's a bit of a difference there. Okay, so our response might be a little bit different than if we saw oppression and suffering right here. Uh, but the idea is the same. If you learn about oppression and suffering and you do nothing about it, then you're responsible for its continuation. And um, it brought to mind James chapter 2. If a, a brother or sister goes without, is without clothes and daily food, and one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? Um, and Lori was just elaborating on what scripture had already said a couple thousand years before. 
Number 10, we're up to the last one. Uh, the gentleman you see here is named Harvey Carey. He is the pastor of Citadel of Faith, which is a multicultural and multi-ethnic church in Detroit. Um, and he spoke, uh, among other things, on Matthew 5, 13 to 16, which is what Maggie read for us. That's why I asked her to read it uh, today. And it's fitting that the puppet show tied right into that. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the world. He said this. Harvey said this. The salt has to leave the shaker in order to be useful. You follow me? People must leave the church building in order to share the mission of Christ. And then he said, salt does not take on the steak's flavor. But the steak takes on the salt's flavor. So there are a couple of things going on here. Um, if we are salt, if we, like Jesus said, are the salt of the world, then perhaps this sanctuary is the salt shaker. And it's good to be in the salt shaker. The salt belongs in the salt shaker. It doesn't need to be spilled all over the place. Okay, that's fine. It's good to be in the salt shaker. But nobody is grateful for salt while it's in the salt shaker. You're only grateful for salt when it leaves the shaker in a way that makes it useful for what purpose it has. I think that's a, that's a wonderful message for us. It's good for us to be here, but we become really useful for the kingdom of God when we leave this place and minister to folks in, in ways that, are, that, are, uh, that God has equipped us and inspired us to do. And the last line that he has here, salt does not take on the steak's flavor, but vice versa. Um, this was in response to some concerns that he had heard from church people. You know, if we go out into the world, maybe we'll become stained by the world. And scripture says, don't allow yourselves to become stained by the world. That's great. But he said, no, salt doesn't get the flavor of the steak that it gets shaken on. Salt's fine. It's going to be okay. The steak takes on the flavor of the salt. So we don't have to worry, as long as we're rooted in Christ, as long as we have Christ in us and are connected to his community, we don't have to worry about, oh, we can't, we can't interact with anybody from the world for fear of taking on the evilness of the world. No, we need to be where the stake is. This is a kind of a weird metaphor. <laughs> we need to be where the stake is and get sprinkled on it so that it might become a little bit more like the salt that we have. That, in a series of ten tweets, is a summary of what happened at the Church of God convention. Uh, lots of speakers, lots of worship time, lots of really good music, lots of really good connection with people. Um, the next Church of God convention, the big one, will be in 2021 in Denver, Colorado. And you are all welcome to go. I mean, it's not just for pastors. It's not just for a chosen few. It's for all of us. And if you want to spend four days in sunny Colorado, they probably won't have snow at the end of June. But you never know. It's Denver. Um, come with me. We'll go in, in 2021 and have a grand old time. Uh, next summer in 2020, there will be a regional convention in a little place called Anderson, Indiana. Kind of funny. I'll end with this. Uh, the three regional conventions next year are scattered West Coast, Midwest, and East Coast. And the three cities where these conventions are going to be held next summer, I think, have never been spoken before in the same English sentence. <laughs> Los Angeles, New York City, and Anderson, Indiana. Oh my. 
one of these things is not like the others. <laughs> L.A. and New York and Anderson. So you could fit like a million Andersons inside each of those, but that's fine. Um, so anyway, next summer, if you want to come with me to Anderson, I'll be going down there too. Uh, keep that in mind. So thank you for, for indulging me in this recap. I think it's important for us to be connected to what the Church of God is about and what conversations are being had. Um, I hope this gives you a better insight into, into that. If you're really curious about all the rest, join Twitter and follow me. I'm at David Ackerman. You can find all of my tweets there and um, go to sleep really easily probably. Uh, need some reading material at night. <laughs>